welcome to episode 27 of Craft, Cook, Read, Repeat, a conversation about crafting food and books. I'm Monica. And I'm Courtney. Today is Wednesday, October 30th, 2019. A big thank you to all of our listeners, both old and new. We hope this podcast will continue to be something you put on repeat. Hello, Courtney. Hello. I'm okay. So, two updates. Um, hopefully... By the time this goes live, the first one will not matter, although I don't know that that's the case. Um, the Northern California fires, we are in the city of San Francisco, so we still have power and have not been directly affected by the fires. We're not anywhere near it. We're not near it. We we definitely have family who have been affected, and, um, and it is obviously devastating to have this tear through our local communities and and in Southern California too. We want to acknowledge that and just hope that everybody's safe and that they get it put out as fast as possible. Yes. And then on a happier note, thank you to everyone for the Potiversary wishes. It's very, very nice. We couldn't couldn't do this without you. I mean, I guess we could, but it wouldn't be nearly as much fun. (laughs) Speaking of the Potiversary, you know, A long time ago, back in January, I talked about my Ink and Volt planner. Yes. In the back of that, it has a little section for accomplishments. And I was was thumbing through my planner, making a list of what needed to happen for my chapbook. And the back of that is a great place to uh, build to-do lists for bigger projects and lessons learned. And I remembered that there was a section for, or I spotted the section for accomplishments, and I noted our podcast as, as a, you should. I think that's a big accomplishment. We we maybe need another pat on the back. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's I pat you, you pat me. Right. Yeah. I think it is. It's hard to do new things, especially like after a certain point in your life. And I just want to say, if you are listening and there's something that you haven't tried but has been on your, oh, I really want to try that one of these days, find a, find a way to give it a little try. Try new things. Yes. Yes. I like that. Okay. Okay. Off we go. Today we are not trying new things. We will have our usual on the needles, on the easel, on the table, and on the nightstand. And I guess we'll start with on the needles and my finished object. Yes, please. Started and finished in the past two weeks. My Choose Your Own Path Towel Patterns by Corey Eichelberger. And I used yarn from the Mouse House Fiber Company. And the yarn is Store, S-T-O-R-R, the Geek Hayweight. And the colorways are K, uh, C-A-Y, like the islands, kind of, isn't Mm -hmm. that what it is? Um, Lagoon and Moxie. So I won these, I don't know, three or four years ago in another knit along. And the prize was, well, A, a really cute pair of scissors, which has nothing to do with it, but I love those scissors. And then these three full skeins of yarn in colors that are absolutely my wheelhouse. So Lagoon is, surprise, surprise, a gorgeous blue. Mm. K is a light blue and pink speckle. Oh, okay. With bits of dark blue. And then the moxie. I always think of it as purple, but if you look at it, I think it's really a pink and then over-dyed blue, which I guess would make purple. Yeah. Um, but the pink shows through a lot, so it's 
there's so much movement and color in this. So I had not figured out what I wanted to do with these yarns. And they've been sitting in my stash for, as I said, three or four years. And I kind of figured I wanted to use them together because they go together very well, I think. Yeah, absolutely. So then, and I think I mentioned this before, the Downseller Studio podcast is having her pigskin party knit along mm-hmm. for the football season, which I'm not a football person, but five-month knit along and you can kind of knit whatever you want. Sounds good to me. So I thought I'd play along. And the surprise theme for October was to use a two-color cast-on. And you got bonus points. Oh, yes. For doing... This was in your Instagram. Yes. You got bonus points for using a pattern from the uh, October sponsor. That's the Corey Eichelberger that I mentioned. So this is the cow pattern that she uses. It has a matching hat and mitts, I think. But it's the example is a three-color cowl in DK weight. So I just felt it was perfect for this project. And then I would get to try something new, as you mentioned. Yes. So it was very, very exciting on many levels. Getting to use stash yarn, learning something new, getting to do the October interception for the knit along. Um, and it's DK, so it went pretty quickly. And it wasn't hard to it do the It was not two. hard. Good. So that was surprising, and it was it was fun. Um, so I watched the video tutorial, tried it out. I think I drew it at once just to make it look prettier, but it was it worked pretty well. And then you do two color ribbing, or there are many options, like because that's the whole point of the pattern that it's choose your own path. So she gives options and more options and additional options, and then so you could do the whole thing in a single yarn. You could do it in just two colors. I went with a three. You do the two color cast on, and then I did two color ribbing, and then stripes of all three colors, and then I switched to a big solid section of the variegated yarn. Mm-hmm. And then, what is that called? Oh, and then I did a Tunisian braid, That's which this. is a little wonky. Yeah, it didn't quite turn out perfect. It looks interesting. That one will need some more practice. It's kind of like the brioche stitch, right? Or is it different? Oh. A little bit. It looks a little bit similar, but it's hard to. Yeah, well, it's because it's, it's been wonky a long and I time. didn't do it quite right. No, no, it's just been a <laughs> it's been a long time since I've seen that brioche. Uh, it's sort of similar, and then it involves kind of wrapping things and knitting al- with alternate skeins of yarn, but um, it's not really a double stitch like I think of brioche being. Mm-hmm. But I haven't done a whole lot of brioche. Um, yeah, and then finished off with some more two color ribbing. Pretty. And then you can fold it in half into itself, so it can oh. go either way. Uh, so you can have either the solid on the outside or the stripes on the outside, depending on what you feel oh, like showing fun. off each day. Yeah, so really fun. It's probably I kind of like be... it just squished all together or and you can sort of squish it all together. Yeah. The well, she has two sizes, medium and large. I went with the medium um, because it looked like it's just I fun would to have enough. Yarn. Feel it yeah. and squish it's it. It's very around. squishy. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> so I was very pleased. I don't know how much wear I'll get out of it. It is a lot of cowl for California or yeah. our part of California. Yeah. But we are planning to go to Canada for the winter break part of it. So I feel like it'll probably get squeezed there. Yeah, but that was fun. It was such a process project for me. It wasn't necessarily, I mean, I liked the pattern, but it wasn't usually. I see a pattern and I want to knit it and then I bring in the yarn and that's how it works. This was more about the knit along and then, oh, I have this great yarn 
and then the knitting of it, learning the new things and having fun with it. And it was, most of it is basically stockinette stitch. So just straight knitting. Yeah. Very fun. Yeah. So I enjoyed that. And then I have finished the knitting for the Descent cardigan. So what? I know. I finished the sleeve, la- the final sleeve last night. The final second sleeve. There's only two. <laughs> <laughs> Not like I did extra sleeves. I finished the sleeve and then went on to read the directions. Because I was going to see if maybe I could bring it over to your house and we could do the sewing part of it. But she recommended blocking it first, which probably does make sense. So I'll need to do that and then okay. think about things. But we should look at it. Speaking of new things. Yes. I feel, uh, then I was thinking, like, why didn't I steak it before I did the sleeves? Oh, in case you totally screw it up. But in case I did, at least I wouldn't have done all that sleeve knitting. But also, apparently, if you knit the sleeves and then knit the collar, things will sit differently than if you knit the collar and then knit the sleeves. So that'll, because knitting the collar and the button band pulls it in a little bit. So then your sleeves might be too long or too short or I haven't quite figured that part out. But regardless, sleeves are done. So And it fits beautifully. Uh, I haven't tried it on. <laughs> I tried it on, I think, when the first sleeve was about half done and it seemed fine. So I can't imagine that it'll be. It will fit. It's knitwear. <laughs> it's going to be fine. No, I've tried it on multiple times and it seemed fine. Okay. So I think it'll be good. But I think it's going to be amazing. There is the sewing and then the picking up and the cutting. Oh, and the cutting. That's quick. So, yeah. Quick and easy. So we shall see how that all goes. Hopefully we will have a report next time. I have the sharpest new scissors oh, to yes. cut this with, too. Yeah. Like, I have. I mean, I have yarn scissors that I could use. But... Oh, these are even better. Are they yeah. tiny, though? Because you know. Can... Oh. They're dressmaker shears, and they're, they're not huge. They fit my hand and... I think I can cut with so much more control okay. using these scissors. It's um, it's a pair of Kai, K-A-I. I also have teeny Kai scissors if you're nervous about using like a eight inch blade. But I don't know. I have a lot of scissor choices. Okay, cool. Yes. <laughs> so we will, we will have to work on that. And then buttons, I'm going to have to find buttons too, which we'll have to talk. I don't know, because I, I hadn't gotten that far in my imagining and I haven't quite figured out what what kind of buttons I want. I have buttons as well. Ooh. Some vintage, good vintage ones too. That might be good. I How many do you need? I don't know. I haven't gotten that far. Okay. So we'll look. Got to get past the cutting first. <laughs> and then I also got, because I had finished that, I worked on my first impressions shawl by Brenda Castile a bit. That's the impressionist blue um, yarn from mm-hmm. Serendip and I. And the colorway is Camille. I'm getting there. It's probably, actually, I'm not even, well, I'm not halfway through the yarn. I just, I am almost done with the body. And when you finish the body, you're at 44% of the yarn, which is nice. She puts that in the pattern. That's super helpful for shawl knitting. So you can check on where you are. Or if you're using different yarn, you can, from the recommended yarn, you can check on it. And then you start the ruffle. And I think you get to 75% and you're supposed to have like, and then you have, enough, have to have enough for the bind off, which is always, always tricky. So I'm not really about halfway through, but I'm getting there. And I worked on my socks because, you know, high school tours. So those are my Christmas socks, the Rye Light pattern from Tin Can Knits. And those are coming along quite well. And I think I have a board meeting coming up as well. So <laughs> those will continue to, to move right along. Good stuff. Yeah. 
It's a very squishy cowl. It is a squishy cowl. Squishy. All right. On the easel. On the easel. Um, no knitting. And the only sewing I've done is hem these pants. Oh. But I did do a self-hem so that it keeps the original cuff. I have been painting for the chapbook. I gave myself a, a deadline of November 1st to have the whole chapbook storyboarded out. So a mock-up with text and illustration ideas, just sketches, for every single page. And the way that the this little chapbook of mine works is last year's was 24 pages. That means that I could do 20 pages or I could do 28 pages or 24. has to be increments of four because of how, you know, you take a page out and you lose four pages. Right. So it's funny to work on it in that way. And so when I was storyboarding it, I knew how I wanted it to end. And then I sort of stretched the illustrations to like span the two pages that I had a little bit of a gap. Sneaky. I know. It's it's an interesting way to approach how you want to tell something. Yeah. And so I think that I have the story pretty much ironed out. And I had a moment the other day when I thought, well, the fires were happening. We hadn't heard from some relatives up north. And I was thinking, it just feels really gratuitous or selfish or I don't know what the right word is to be working on this little Christmas chapbook when terrible things are happening. And honestly, last year's chapbook happened because terrible things happened. And it was my way of processing things. And and when I, I put a little something on my Instagram stories about how I was trying to find the joy in it, and, and one of the aunts who is affected by this fire wrote something along the lines of, what you're doing is important. It brings us joy to see that. And that sort of made, like, just lit me up because... I forget that it's it's a good distraction for other people in a way, mm-hmm. or it's meaningful for them to see something creative when other things are being destroyed. So as much as I feel like it might be fun to go and paint, in some ways it does it does help other people, you know. Yeah. So that's the chapbook. It is. I'm really happy with where I'm at. And as long as I can keep on pace, I think that I won't be scrambling um, December 15th, (laughs) but no promises. Uh, Because Friday starts Gwashvember. Oh, yes. It's back, people. Yay. Patricia Nordine and Nelsie, who is Sharon, or uh, Nelsie, who is Sharon in real life, they reached out and asked if I was going to do something for Gwashvember, and we connected with Daria, who did the big list last year, her great list, and she's going to release it today. I'm Ooh. so excited. So hey, hooray, design. And then off we go, and hopefully we'll have a great gang of gouache painters. And for people who are new to our podcast and have no idea what gouache is, my husband calls it squash paint, um, <laughs> but gouache is an opaque watercolor. So it's a water-soluble paint that is really saturated 
and covers well and it it was originally like more of a graphic design paint before graphic design is like almost all computer generated now i love to paint with it because it gives such strong bold color and and it's i think it's a really fun vivid paint and it allows me to do tremendous detail which is what i mean i can get a lot of detail in watercolor too but but not the not the punch of color that I can get with gouache. So that's your little intro to gouache vember. Very exciting. And so do they do little themes for each day or how does that work? She or is it whatever? releases, uh, Hey Hooray Design will release a list tomorrow or today with a topic for every single day. Okay. So we paint every single day in November. I'm painting every day right now anyway, but it will be fun to, I just, Every year, love the stack of art that I make in gua- in November in gouache because it's it's not my own work; it's somebody else's prompt, and and it's fun to see what other people come up with for a really simple prompt. It's like a knit along. It's, it's like a knit along. It's a paint along. It's a paint along. Gouache along. Absolutely. So I'm cool. thrilled because gouache is my like my number one go to medium yes. and um i have a big stack of paper and tons of paint and i'm ready to roll you're gonna be busy yeah <laughs> but sometimes i can get the double dip uh-huh and the gouache painting will cover an illustration for my chapbook right. and that happened a little bit last year so i'm happy to have the nudge to paint <laughs> you send her a little can we have squirrels on the third place <laughs> exactly that would be helpful. Thank you. So, gouache vember. Speaking of doing new things, I taught my friend Mia how to marble for her Christmas cards. You people in your Christmas cards. It's okay. It's beautiful. Tiny Prince is a perfectly great way to send out a Christmas yes. card or whatever your service is. I'm not knitting Christmas cards for everyone. So, right. So, there we go. But the Christmas card is totally my thing. This is true. So... My Christmas partner in crime, Mia, we keep each other kind of accountable because we like to do these more intensive Christmas card projects. And she helps me edit mine and sort of get the ball rolling earlier. And I help her with hers. And this year she wanted to do a marbled paper on hers. And so I taught her how to marble this weekend. Cool. And it, it it's another case of I have always wanted to learn how to do this is what she said to me. And, and I personally know how to do paper marbling kind of the old fashioned way. And so I got all the materials ready and the tricky part with the marbling is getting the paint, the right consistency. It's meant to float on top of that seaweed water. And then when you lay the paper on top and lift it back up again, it sticks to the paper, which is treated with, Pickle juice, basically. <laughs> so it's like sushi. Got seaweed paper, pickle juice. Yeah. No. Not at all. Anyway. The paper is treated with alum, which is a pickling agent. Huh. And it just allows the paper, or it allows the paper to pick up the paint and also allows you to wash off the seaweed. It used to be a kind of a toxic process, and now you can, I mean, 
carag is it carrageenan carrageenan i don't know how to pronounce mm. it uh, yeah I know it's that stuff about. it's in ice cream and yeah. it's a thickening agent yeah. that's what's used to float the the ink or the paint so the paint is i use acrylic paint and i learned that i can use gouache so gouache paint comes in designer gouache and acrylic gouache and acrylic gouache has plastic in it so it it's a polymer based and that way if you get it wet it won't wash away real gouache which is what i use on a daily basis you can reactivate and wash away that's why it's generally behind glass that kind of thing so anyway i learned that i can marble with the acrylic gouache which i have a lot of which is was eye-opening to me and it's super fun because there's a lot more colors of acrylic gouache than I have in the marbling paint and I was had a lot of trial and error with other paint brands so I spent the day marbling with my friend Mia yeah what's on your table what have you been cooking on my table uh last week Simon was traveling again so I went with things that were pretty much quick and familiar I don't generally repeat recipes. That's become less true lately. I do. Just, I repeat them north, yeah. south, east, and west. <laughs> Most people do. And there's all you know, there's always kind of cook-alongs or how to get out of your cooking rut. And I really like generally I just for whatever reason don't repeat myself. As I said, it has definitely become less true. I just wow. have other things that I want to spend my brain power on. I think there's themes. There's so many recipes for whatever chicken piccata that you can try, keep trying yeah. different ones. Um, and I'm such a recipe cooker. I yeah. like that with you know, knitting. That's why I like knitting is because there's a pattern and you follow it and it turns out good. Right? Like you can, it's very comforting to me. Anyway. Okay. So I like using recipes for the most part. So like the first night, although the first, I say that, the first night I just did chicken thighs and couscous and broccoli. Right? Super easy. But delicious. Um, I did the meatball marsala from Smitten Kitchen, which I've done before, so I knew the boys would like it and be happy. Um, That's a repeat. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like this week was unusual. I see. I see. In that, I didn't do anything new. Um, So the meatball meatball marsala, and actually that was kind of funny because I had cooked off the meatballs before I went to pick up boy two from soccer, and as I was waiting for him to be done. Get a text from boy one saying, hey, what are these crab cake things <laughs> on the stove? And I texted back, they're actually meatballs. They're not done cooking. Don't eat them. They're for dinner or wait for dinner. And there's a pause and I get a text back. It's like, well, I had some already. I think they're pretty cooked. <laughs> and then he texts, am I going to die? Adam ate raw raviolis the other day and didn't notice the whole thing. Huh. Ate a whole bowl of raviolis that were uncooked Uh uh-huh that sounds delicious (laughs) so to be fair i think they were probably pretty much cooked but yeah Yeah. so that was amusing and i remembered to put the mushrooms in it all worked out very well boys were happy so you followed the recipe whereas last time i don't think you did yeah well except that i added mushrooms because again this one doesn't call for mushrooms so i wrote a note in the book add the mushrooms here because there needs to be mushrooms. You're right. I always make it with mushrooms, yeah, too. Why is... I don't know. Doesn't marsala mean and mushrooms? <laughs> <laughs> with mushrooms? No, I, I don't think it does. But yeah, there's always mushrooms in it. It's very confusing. 
I agree. That was one of my problems when I first made it, is that I had bought the mushrooms, and then I was like, wait a minute, where are the mushrooms? Oh, no, I didn't buy the mushrooms. I had to go on a mushroom hunt, because there are no mushrooms in the list, and that was why I didn't buy them. And I was making my grocery list. So it went much better this time, child eating the raw meatballs. I mean, they weren't raw. They'd been browned off. So it was all okay. And the faux cubanos, which is from The Dinner Plan by Kathy Brennan, I think, and somebody else whose name I'm forgetting. But you use pita bread and then do like a Cuban sandwich with ham and Swiss and pickle and secret sauce. Okay. And then you um, pan fry them with another frying pan on top so they get all squished together. Mm, I have a so. I have a panini oh, pan. Oh, yeah, that would work. Yeah. I don't I never use... Yeah. This was fine. It's super heavy. To drag out, you yeah. know, unless you're pressing a sandwich. No. It's not an everyday kind of thing. No. So that was good. And then I have been working, now that Simon is back, I'm now working my way through family, new vegetarian comfort food to nourish every day by Hetty McKinnon. This has many good recipes. I'm much, much excited about this book. Excellent. It sounds like... She has a whole... And the other thing I really like about this book... I mean, I like the recipes, but she has, at the top, she'll put if it's vegan, if it's gluten-free, she'll give substitutions at the bottom, you know, other things, like she calls for broccolini, yes, you can use broccoli, or whatever, or cauliflower, you know, Um, so that's really nice, and then ideas on how to make it gluten-free, if it's not, so that's really nice to have that all laid out. Um, I think our favorite from that one so far is the kale salad, which comes with roasted grapes. Yeah, it comes with you make it with roasted grapes <laughs> um, and then a yogurt sauce that you kind of massage into it so it starts to break down the kale and sliced apples and candied pecans so it's a Waldorf-esque is what she calls it um, nice and burrata which Ooh. is just delicious some delight to anything really so that was good that was that was a big hit and they're really generous servings when it says it serves for it really serves for me. We had a big honking pile of salad. And then I served that with a lentil and potato salad with a a pea stew, which is like a pesto, but not quite as mm-hmm. thick. And I think it doesn't have the cheese and the pine nuts. But anyway, so that was good. Um, and then I think tonight I'm trying the sweet and sour cauliflower, which sounds yum. very interesting. I might have to take and a delicious. picture of that recipe before I go because I'm making roasted cauliflower tonight. Oh, nice. Yeah. But I was just going to do it with turmeric and serve it with chicken chili. Oh, that sounds good. We'll see. Yeah. And then I did a chocolate loaf cake. I and saw the picture of that. Yes. So that is from... It's a chocolate snacking loaf. Yes. <laughs> it's basically a big hunk of chocolate cake. Uh, in a loaf pan. In a it's loaf cho- pan. <laughs> it's chocolate cake in loaf form. Yes. But it, it's it's very dense and delicious. And, and you made it gluten-free or gluten-full? I made it gluten-free, which actually that was... So this book is Every Day is Saturday by Sarah Copeland, which it had a lot of good recipes, but she is more of a weekend big cook. Batch cook. Batch. Sort of batch. Prep for the week. Yeah. yeah. Not entirely like cook beans for five days kind of cook, but more similar. And that's just not what I have time for. 
Um, but this this cake was pretty spectacular. <laughs> but she also has recipes where she will call for gluten-free because she thinks the result, the gluten-free flour, because she thinks the results are better. And there's a lot of recipes where she says you can use either. And this was fine. Gluten-free? Yeah. Okay. So that's good. And so we were eating it. Boy 2 said how delicious it was, which it was. <laughs> and I said, oh, and it's supposed to be even better the second day. And so he was having it for breakfast the next morning. And he said, yes, it is better the second day. It's like, how is it on the third day? I said, well, she didn't mention that. I think it's probably just gone. He's like, yes, that makes sense. <laughs> how is it different? I think it just, it kind of settles and the flavors meld more and mm. get darker and more chocolatey. Did you so. see the, um, the easy chocolate cookies in the New York Times newsletter this week? The oh, quick and that? simple salted cocoa wonder cookie. No, that sounds good, though. I haven't made them yet, but I have all the ingredients ready to rock and roll. Oh, I look forward to, to hearing about that. I know. I Did you see the it. mayonnaise on meat about this morning? No. So I've heard this for grilled cheese. Um, the lady that runs Prune Restaurant uses mayonnaise instead of, like, butter because mm -hmm. of the burn point. And apparently it is also good um, if you do it on fish or steak i've heard about doing a mayonnaise coating before you do like a breaded chicken and it helps the panko or whatever you're using mm -hmm. to bread your chicken helps it stick even better and then oh. it keeps the chicken really delectable yeah so many wonderful things you can do with mayonnaise mm. and then i took a cooking class what yeah. oh yes i saw that i saw that and i posted there's this I guess it's not so new, but this is new to me little shop in my neighborhood that is called Hunt and Gather. And they have kind of an art gallery and she sells local artisanal food products and jewelry and soaps and candles. And then she has Friday night art shows and cocktail parties and cooking classes. There's a pasta one coming up. There's a vegetarian Indian brunch. That's having like four seatings in a few weekends. And she's local, so it's That's super great. fun. So you feel yeah. like you're just hanging out in your neighborhood, which you are, but you know. So we did spring roll class, which was super fun. And she had all the ingredients ready and they had a, they had a cocktail. And then she did, so we had all the traditional ingredients. And then she also brought kind of fall ingredients. So we tried it with kale and squash and cranberries and yeah. Um, we made peanut sauce, and we did an Asian beer tasting. So it was super fun. Really nice, just hanging out, chatting. It's a fairly small spot. There were eight of us. Yeah, so, you know, just a nice group, and it was really fun and very tasty. Ate a lot. Yeah, what a lot did you use for the, like, a rice paper wrapper yep. for them? Yeah, and then she had the do rice you, noodles. Do you steam those? You soak them in water. Oh. You have hot water and then you soak it so it gets soft and then you put your ingredients in and roll it up. And so we had, what did we have? Shrimp and the rice noodles and carrots and I think there are red bells and some jalapenos and lettuce. Many delicious things. That sounds fun. It's fun, yeah. And it's called Hunt and Gather. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And that is all for me. Okay, well... I threw a gluten-free baby shower. Yay! I know, I get Good a gluten-free prize. Gluten-free star. I started my prep day. My kids 
have a waffle every morning with an egg or four. Four waffles and four eggs is more closer to the ratio. But they toast the waffle, put a little butter on it, and then go eat it with their egg. So I had cleared off the toaster and put everything away and was getting ready to do a gluten-free kitchen. And the first recipe called for like a couple tablespoons of melted butter and I picked up the knife and cut off a piece of butter, melted it, and then I realized the kids had buttered their waffle with that knife. And so it was this grand reset for me. Like, okay, I really have to clear the deck here. And it made me stop and just scan everything. And I just got into a much better groove after that first sort of fumble, you know? It's like me with the introduction to the podcast. Exactly. Yes. (laughs) Which, if you never listen all the way to the end, Monica tucks our little scramble at the at the tail end of our podcast. Yeah. But anyway, I I did my gluten-free baby shower, you know, the frittata and all the desserts and a salad. And as I had built this menu, I had an artichoke dip, which everybody You do a fantastic everybody artichoke loves this dip. artichoke yes. dip, which maybe I should connect that to the rest of the world. I realized that everything I had on the menu though was either had either dairy or egg in it Mm. and I was a little concerned I didn't know the whole group so I was a little concerned that if somebody had if somebody was vegan or didn't eat dairy or didn't eat egg they were not going to have a lot of choices outside of a salad so I quickly found a recipe for this sweet potato and avocado bite. So you take a sweet potato, slice it kind of thick, thick slices and roast them off. And then mix up basically how I make guacamole, which is just a couple nice avocados, some lime juice and some kosher salt, and maybe a little bit of um, Tabasco if you want to kick. Um, So that goes on top of the potato slice and then a little half of a cherry tomato and a couple sprouts and the recipe called for radish sprouts but all I could find were regular alfalfa and it's this really pretty bite they're really colorful because you get the orange from the sweet potato and then the green from the avocado and then the tomato and you just build the whole thing and they're pretty festive yeah They were well consumed in this group. The only thing I didn't like about it was after a couple hours, the avocado definitely Mm -hmm. turned. And so it's not something that you can make ahead. You really do have to make it in the heat of the moment and, and then hope that they go quickly. It's a good first pass or a little appetizer. And I wouldn't overmake them, you know, make one for each person and be done of it because right. they just don't really last and they don't look appetizing after like the three hour mark. Mm-hmm. However, the the other gluten free amendment that I made was I made my chocolate mousse pie and mm-hmm. I used the recipe for the nut crust from your flourless mm-hmm. cookbook. And that was a huge hit. It worked beautifully in the in what the spring form. Did you use? 
I used 50-50 almonds and walnuts. Oh, delicious. Yeah, it was it was a great, great alternative to, I think the actual recipe calls for an Oreo, Oreo wafer crust. I have used chocolate graham crackers before, but this I think was just really beautiful and it held to I did par bake it before I put the um before I put the mousse in there and it just it was great. So that was the the baby shower. Then well, which so which so you did the cake and did you do the cookies? I did the cookies, yeah. I did the Riccarellis and I did the salted peanut butter cookies. Nice. And then the chocolate mousse pie. We were fine in the dessert department. I think so. <laughs> I'm not surprised. And then I was able to send cookies home with the father-to-be and the grandpa-to-be. And they were very happy with me. And my kids had a lot left over, which they were thrilled about. Um, But, you know, I had made that gluten-free pumpkin cookie two weeks ago and brought it over. And then I ended up vetoing it because I only wanted to make two cookies. But I had some pumpkin left over. Mm -hmm. And so after the baby shower, I found another recipe for just a regular iced pumpkin cookie that called for a lot of pumpkin. So I thought that they would be pumpkinful. (laughs) They were a little on the cakier side Mm -hmm. compared to the ones that that I brought over because they had they had a lot of lift to them. They had a good amount of pumpkin, a cup of pumpkin compared to a quarter cup in the first ones. And I loved the cookie on its own without anything, but it did call for icing. And the icing recipe was started off with like two cups of confectioner sugar. And I immediately said, I do not need two cups of confectioner sugar. So I did, I halved the icing recipe and it, I stretched it over the whole batch. And my kids came in and I had even left some of them naked. And the kids came in and Nathan said, well, these are awesome, but they need twice as much icing. <laughs> well, without even knowing that I had halved the icing recipe, he just wanted the whole thing covered in icing. So I thought that was really funny that he didn't even know about it. That is funny. Was there any um, flavoring or was it just plain sugar icing? Oh, it called for a vanilla icing a little bit of vanilla extract in it but somebody in the comments said oh it's really good with a little maple syrup instead of vanilla and so I did it with maple and they were great yeah it was a good little recipe but I I'm just (laughs) cracking up that my kid instinctively knew that I was cheating him out of some icing (laughs) and then he's a smart cookie (laughs) (sighs) um, had to be done (laughs) I made the vinegar chicken, the oh, Pulitzer Prize winning it? chicken. It was awesome. Cool. So I was very excited to make this recipe because the entire New York Times food world kept talking about it. It was rising to the top of all of my chicken searches. And I was so happy to have an evening when I could try this recipe. And luckily, It calls for, I don't have it right in front of me, but they're those bright green Castle Vitrano olives. They're really beautiful, big green olives. They're not the Spanish ones. Well, they might be Spanish, but they're not your, you know, typical Spanish olive. 
and you roughly chop them with some parsley, I think. And then, so that's just, that's an after. Mm-hmm. The chicken goes in with salt, pepper, olive oil, and turmeric. Mm. And then you douse the whole chicken with white wine vinegar and roast it off. It comes out super crispy and oh. succulent. And then you add the olive and and herb sauce to mm. it and you eat that as more like an accompaniment. And you, I wouldn't put it on top of it because um, that chicken is nice and crispy. So... It was delicious, delicious as a leftover. I can't wait to make it again. It was a really super recipe. So really pretty simple. You're not making some complicated sauce or glaze. You're just dumping things on there? Uh Uh-huh. That's fabulous. Yeah. It's sort of an indelicate (laughs) (laughs) operation. But I, yeah, you just loosely chop the olives and the parsley with a little bit more olive oil, I think, and then um, and it accompanies it. These particular olives are very mild and not salty, so they're a great accompaniment with this turmeric, tangy chicken. It's so interesting. It's uh-huh. an interesting combo. It is a really great combination. And it's a whole chicken? Well, or... her recipe calls for chicken parts. Oh. I mean, that's I took a, a whole easier. chicken and spatchcocked it. Yeah. I didn't even, sometimes when I spatchcock a bird, I will put it in a um, cast iron on the stovetop and brown it off. But this one, you don't even do that. I just put it in the oven on a a baking sheet and off we went. It was delicious. In fact, and because the, the leftovers were so succulent, I would do two birds with one stone. Or one stove. With one stove. Yeah, two birds with one stove. Could you throw some potatoes in there? Absolutely. The, the little guys. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it would be awesome. They like salt and vinegar potatoes. Uh-huh. That could be delicious. All right. I'm going to have to put so this on the list. It was for... a great recipe. Cool. And I still haven't tried the one from salt, salt. heat, acid, fat, or Much whatever over. that combination is. Yeah. That one's a little more complicated. That involves brining it and soaking. And I don't know if it's brining, but and soaking. it's got a little heat to it too, right? I don't remember there being heat. Well, it's in the title of the cookbook, so I was assuming. Oh. <laughs> well, that could just be the cooking part. Yes, it may well. But I, since I haven't actually made it, I just sampled the the lights. Okay. Well, this one is this. I think it's called vinegar chicken with green olives or. It might even say the Castle of Vestrano, or I'm brutalizing that. <laughs> poor you know what I mean, those I poor do. olives. That's yeah. it? We did a lot of cooking. Yeah, we really did. I made chimichangas again, too. Oh, so good. And I changed it up a little bit. What'd you do? Well, not really. I used the Zoe's. Have you come across the Zoe's Deli Turkey? It's a low-sodium, so- low no-nitrate turkey. Oh which we have to be like sodium conscious. Mm-hmm. And I used fresh tortillas. Oh. So I had to do the tortillas in a skillet like while mm-hmm. I was wrapping them up. It totally elevated the whole thing. I would imagine. Slightly. Hmm. It was an extra step to have the tortilla thing happening, but I had them in my house and I needed yeah. to use them. So they were really good. Nice. The, the exterior, it was a 
wonderful texture on the exterior compared to a pre-made tortilla or pre-baked tortilla. Got it. Yeah. That is the advantage of making a recipe more than once is that you can perfect it or improve at the very least. Yes, although now I feel I have raised the standards for of the, chimichanga. Uh, the, of the chimichanga at my house. And can you return? <sighs> I could never return. Sorry, I'm going to go yeah. into a Boston song there. All right, mm -hmm. on the nightstand. Yes, books. Yay. Yes. Yes, okay. Yes, always. So I finished Watermark by Vanitha Sankaran. Uh, this is Southern France. Ooh, in the 1100s, I believe. So the Inquisition. Our heroine is uh, the daughter of a papermaker. She is mute and an albino, so people are very suspicious of her because she is different, but she's very smart. Her family loves her. She likes to read. She likes to write poetry. There's a romance. Oh, and we were talking about why paper was so suspicious. Oh, yes. So it was, yes, that words to the masses. Mm -hmm. We don't really want them all learning to read and having knowledge. The Protestant groups were using paper because it was cheaper than parchment and more readily available to spread their words. So there was that sort of heretical viewpoint and suspicion. And also, apparently, it was invented by the Moors. So again, heresy, suspicion, both not good things. Um, yeah, so it was, it was a fine book. There were parts of it that I really liked. There were parts that I thought could be have been better executed um, but overall a really good book and an interesting time period that just she did a good job of making that world kind of come alive because I, I you know don't really know anything about it very very interesting and next was purple hibiscus by chimamanda ngozi adichie uh she wrote americana which mm -hmm. i haven't read yet so this one i think is her first book it was amazing I need to read all of her stuff now yeah. Um, really hard. Very dark. Uh, family in Nigeria during one... Sorry. I, I know nothing, very little to nothing of the time period. Roughly. So, honestly, don't know. Uh, there was a revolution going on. Okay. Army taking over. Student riots. And so the main character is a 15-year-old girl, lives with her older brother and her parents. Um, her dad is very wealthy, very religious, very strict. And they go to stay with their dad's sister for a week, and it kind of changes everything. Um, so there's the backdrop of the civil unrest and her family's issues and her own being 15. Um, it's just a beautiful story, really hard, really hard scenes in there. So um, be aware of that going in if you're sensitive to I think a lot of her... We did Americana with Book Group, and I think most of her work has... Yeah. Covers a lot of that territory. Yeah, but fabulous. And then I read Recursion by Blake Crouch. Oh, this was the, what was his other book? Oh, I don't know. Oh, he had a super popular one a couple of years ago. Oh. Yeah, this one kept coming up on all the lists and, you know, new book coming out. have to read this. Dark Matter. Did you not read Dark Matter? No. I'm the only person in America who didn't like it. Oh, all right. It was... So weird. How was this? This was pretty weird. Okay. But I liked it. So it starts off 2018 and there are people suffering from, they get, uh, they all of a sudden get memories of a different life 
it didn't happen, but it's so real that a lot of people have problems accepting their current life and no one knows why it's happening. It's a really intense deja vu kind of thing. Yes, but like they, they remember an entire other life. Oh gosh. Like families. That's creepy. Kids. Totally different. And then sometimes their relatives will also remember part of this past sort of alternate world. No one knows what's going on. Turns out someone has basically, it's not exactly time travel, but so there's, you go, you can go back into your memories <laughs> and it's messing with reality. Our hero and our heroine are trying to save the world. Lots of strange time phenomena. Strange things are happening. Strange things are happening. Thriller, you know. Yeah. Minority Report kind of thing. Yeah. Time travel, alternate realities. How do we... Dark Matter time loop. Dark Matter dealt with time warp type stuff too and I just my brain doesn't work that way oh. so and you probably wouldn't like this then like place me in 1936 and I'm a okay yeah. but no. you know last week no this was <laughs> no all over and but it did occasionally take place in San Francisco so that was fun they mentioned the monk's kettle and oh fun and some other local places that so that was amusing. Does he write locally, I wonder? No, mm-hmm. most of, I don't think so. Most of it took place in New York. I think Dark Matter took place in Chicago-ish area. Yeah. Outside Chicago, I if I'm somewhere. remembering right. So I enjoyed it. It was I liked it. It was a little rambling because of all the time travel. It's hard but to... But interesting, interesting theory. And I think okay. he did a good job of explaining it and it all sort of made sense. Within the bounds of it, you know, being all made mm-hmm. up. So, um, and then right now I'm reading Burning Chambers by Kate Moss, which I am back in southern France, although in the 1500s during their wars of religion, instead of the 1100s. And listening to Parasite by Mara Grant, who is a pseudonym for Shannon McGuire, who writes the Every Heart a Doorway, weird children books. This one is like a medical thriller. Okay. So I don't, uh, oh, it was because I wanted an audiobook and the ones that I was waiting on hadn't come in yet. I really, I listened to all my podcasts. This was available. So I started listening to it. It's a little creepy, people, to have figured out a way to make tapeworms useful for medical purposes. So like, you ingest one and, and it takes care of all your medical issues, which is great. Like so, everything? Pretty much, yeah. So all your allergies and autoimmune disorders are gone. So people are like, this is They're well-trained tapeworms. They are. That is gross. Except that, I'm assuming, (laughs) given that the title has got to go sideways. It's got to go sideways. So, yeah. Okay. So we'll we'll see. It's a long one. I think I'm about a third of the way through. Okay. But it's it's amazing that the reader seems to be doing, seems to be, the reader is doing a good job. Yeah, and apparently it's a series. I was like, "Ooh, I don't, I don't know how that can keep going on." But I guess I'll find out. Okay, we'll see, see how I'm feeling about it. How about you? I read a book that I had picked up at the public library book sale several years ago. It's called "These Granite Islands" by Sarah Stonick, Stonick, uh, Stonich, and it is. A novel that takes place in 1936. Perfect. And in present day. 
We do not time travel. We just remember back. Okay, that's fine. The setting is, I think, Upper Peninsula, Michigan, on a like a remote island community. And this woman is remembering back to this one particular summer while she's on her deathbed. So she's she's just reminiscing on this, not really reminiscing, but she's recalling this summer that really changed everything for her. And she was um, a mother, maybe in her early 30s, and um, she encounters this very glamorous but troubled woman who... In the Upper Peninsula? Well, they had gone up there, her and her husband of the glamorous, the glamorous couple had gone up there for the summer for work. The husband was like a miner, and there's a mine in their town, or on their island, or maybe they don't live on the island they just live near it. I don't know. There's all these little islands. I don't know that we're ever told. It's a town called Cyprus, hmm. but I don't know that that's an actual, I think it might be a fictional, fictionally based place. This book was really hard for me because it its main topic is adultery. Mm. And normally, as soon as I encounter that, I close the cover. It is a hot button thing for me. I don't like to read about it. I never think it's sexy. It's, it just turns me off. The reason why I continued reading this is that the main character was just as uncomfortable with it as I was. She was watching her glamorous friend from St. Paul have an affair with this other guy who was on the island or Mm -hmm. in the town or whatever. And there's, a little bit about the adultery, but really it's more this woman, her name is Isabel, the main character, on her deathbed looking back and wondering what happened to that to those two. They went missing at the end of that summer and did they run off together or did something happen? And there's all of this shrouded mystery, but it affected much of her life mm. because she didn't know what had happened to them and she felt very responsible and It was also, her kids were young at the time. They were 8, 10, 12. And one of her sons thought that she was the one who had the affair. And so as she's telling him what really happened that summer, he's learning her thoughts about it and from her perspective. And that was, um, it was a really atmospheric and character-driven book. And I think that's what made me stick with it is she was just as leery about this affair as I was as a reader. Right. And so so I did stick with it to the end. And I and I think in the end it it was a well the character, her character in particular, is really well developed. Is that a new book? No, it's in like two thousand one. I was maybe? gonna say, I feel like I've read that. Yeah, two thousand one. Oh, yeah, that sounds yeah. familiar. I, I'm interested to look for more of her, Sarah Stonich's work, because her writing is really strong. I'm also listening to The Magpie Murders by Anthony Horowitz. I came across that Modern Mrs. Darcy list, mm-hmm. like 15 audiobooks for you Anglophiles. Yes. I don't know that I'm an Anglophile, but I do appreciate a good accent when I'm listening to a book. And so that's how I found The Magpie Murders. It had come up someplace once before. And so 
um, I decided I was in a similar need for an audiobook and and dove into this. And at first I thought it was um, a really typical whodunit kind of murder mystery. It was easy enough for me to follow along on the audio format and and there were not a hundred characters. You know, sometimes that's the problem with audio. But at one point I looked down and I thought, they've nearly solved this and we're only halfway through. And I was kind of getting irritated. Like, how are they going to, how is he going to drag this book out? And then there's a major plot shift. And And then I remembered that the beginning of the book, the story was told like, oh, I'm a book editor. This is the book that came across my desk. And then off she goes into the book. The plot twist is that now, so she finishes the, or the book is finished and she comes up for air and she's like, that's not the ending. And the author of the book has died. And so she goes back to the author's residence and is trying to figure out where's the last chapter of this book. It doesn't make any sense. And she's finding alignment between the book and the characters and the people in town and the people in his real life. So it's this really cool, and now I'm kind of like, oh, I wish I was reading this because maybe I didn't pay close enough attention. Yeah. I thought it was this straight up murder mystery, and it's it's so not so it's not so clear now. It feels clever mm-hmm. in a good way. Not that I'm I'm I don't feel cheated at all, and I I'm excited to finish it. Cool. And then my last book for this is so good. It's Alice Hoffman. It's Alice Hoffman, who I adore. I read the Alice Hoffman, The World That We Knew. The book is a little bit hard because it takes place during World War II. So you have to be ready for that. Alice Hoffman writes in the magical realism realm And this is a story about three, I would say three characters who do what they must to survive Jewish persecution during that time. Mm. And it is difficult, just like most World War II books are. I feel like there's there's so many different books that cover different elements of World War II. It's hard to get to find a fresh take, if it can be said. And this this magical realism side of it brings a little bit of beauty and levity that made me think of The Nightingale by Kristen Hanna mm-hmm. and also All the Light We Cannot See oh, by, right, right. by Anthony Doerr. What's happening in this book is that a mother goes to a rabbi's wife, who's also a midwife, and implores her to help get her daughter out of Berlin. The rabbi's wife turns her away, but the rabbi's oldest daughter knows how to help. And together, the mother and the rabbi's daughter form a golem, like a protective creature, out of mud and blood and... I don't know how they, I don't know that recipe. <laughs> don't have that one. I don't have that recipe. Whatever else you use um, to make a golem. And belief and faith yep. and love, I guess. And so this golem takes the form of a grown woman and helps smuggle the daughter, the 12-year-old daughter, 
um, out of Berlin. The rabbi's daughter and her sister try to escape also. I mean, it's World War II. There's tragedy and evil every square inch of this territory. And the story of how they get where they're going and what they have to endure is is hard, but a worthy read. The magic of this golem and then the magic that she sees in the world. So a golem is supposed to be disposed of in a way when you're done with it. When you're safe, you, you're supposed to dispose of it according to, or at least how I understand it. And she sees mad she sees the beauty in the human world and she doesn't want to leave like she's taken on a lot of human characteristics and even in the middle of this war she is seeing tremendous beauty i don't i don't want to give anything away because i think it's so transportive in a way that i just highly recommend it and if i were a good breeds person i would give it five stars excellent um which i almost never do I always, you know, get a little irritated with something. <laughs> but there's there's really a lot of beauty in this book. And it was a really, I mean, it made me cry at the end, of course. Wow. It was really beautiful. Okay. Yeah. I leave it there. Nice. I think that's it for this time. Make sure to do something you love every day. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Show notes can be found at craftcookreadrepeat.podbean.com. You can find us on Instagram as craftcookreadrepeat or courtneysf, that's C-O-R-T-N-E-Y-S-F. On Ravelry, I'm Magdon, M-A-G-D-O-N. And if you have any questions or comments, email us at craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.